Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Edit audio. I was just not able to take care of myself in the way that I would like to. And when I wasn't taking care of myself in a way that I wanted to, I was just like, you know, like making judgment calls or like being sloppy with certain things where, you know, like if I was in a better place, that maybe I wouldn't have made some of those calls, you know? Mm -hmm. Then I got into tattooing full time, which has become like a six day a week job. And I only take off Sundays because it's the Lord's Day. And uh, you're also hand drawing everything. So, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Yeah, just to add on that, <laughs> I feel like for myself, like I'm able to take care of myself in a better way where I can, you know, eat properly, get good sleep, you know, like keep up with my prayer and my meditation to maintain my spiritual practice to help out with others in my recovery world. And that's how I'm like able to like stay focused on things. What's up, y'all? Welcome to season two of The Teardown, a podcast hosted by me, Vegas Inc., hopefully still your favorite polarizing tattooer. Every episode, I sit down and chat with amazing guest artists, and we dive in more intimately on the politics of the tattoo industry, as well as some topics I feel are more relevant in contemporary tattooing. So now that we're all set up, let's get started. Are you ready? For today's guest, we have Faith also known as Needle Imprints on Instagram. Faith likes classic tattoos. They appreciate the history of tattooing globally and wish to contribute to the culture in a meaningful way. In a previous moment, Faith had worked in social services and was a co-founder of Pieces to Pathways, a peer-led substance use support program for queer and trans youth. Currently, they make tattoos, take photographs, browse used bookstores, and continue to develop a spiritual practice. How are you doing today, Faith? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing okay. I actually did not get to sleep until like 6 a.m. I don't know why my insomnia has been on like a thousand. But yeah, mostly I'm just a little bit tired. So, well, first, how did you get into tattooing? Like how, how long have you been tattooing? I've been tattooing since the summer of 2018. And it was Charlie Scratch Pepper. Yeah, a fave. You know, like Charlie had tattooed me a, a bunch of times. They were still hand poking at the time. And I just said to them, I was like, I just asked them if they could show me how to hand poke. And then they did the thing where they're like, okay, just come over to my apartment and like, I'll show you how to tattoo. <laughs> and like, that's how it started. Yeah. 
you didn't do it a traditional apprenticeship? No, I want, I knew that I wanted to do some sort of art practice that you could actually make money from. It, it just seemed like so many other art practices, it's not like sustainable for making money, you know, and being able to like do that as like a passion project. Yeah. Tattooing is, is definitely that it could um, make you quite a bit of money and it can make you zero dollars. So <laughs> <laughs> it is an art medium like any other art medium, but the stakes are just like so much higher and can feel like so much more stressful because it's not just you. There's like another person involved in the practice. What has been your experience thus far? I know that you have a private studio. You work with folks like Cedar Perk and... Yeah, E.T. is uh, Cedar Perk. And then uh, Emily is a neocortical honey. These names are so... That's a good one. Yeah, so I know that you have a private practice and then you also work part-time now at a like a street walk-in shop. You've existed actually in like three of the worlds the home studio life, the private studio life, and now the street level life. Like what has that experience been like? Like, do you see the differences? Oh yeah, for sure. Like I, I started tattooing without knowing how to draw. So the learning curve overall has been like really Wait, hard. Really? Yeah. Like I started drawing when I started tattooing. So Oh my God, I thought you were an OCAD. Oh my gosh. Okay. No, not one of those. Not one of those. Work. I love, we love it. Okay. Yeah. Like I started working at a uh, new tribe about four months ago and ET actually had been, you know, she's done her time in street shops and doing walk-ins and she was just like, you know, if like you want to like grow, go work in a street shop. And there was other people in my life that were encouraging me to do that as well. And I just saw that like a couple people were leaving New Tribe and I'm kind of not old school, but I was like, okay, cool. If like a couple of people are leaving, they might be wanting to fill the position. So I just went in to the shop and I brought some paintings with me. And then I asked to uh, talk to the, to the manager or the owner. And then I met with the manager first. And then after that, I met with the owner, uh, Dave, as well. I love that. Bringing in your portfolio. I like I totally agree being like street being in street shops will help you develop like so many skills right and just being around other artists who have a, a practice that's a little bit different from yours or some that align with yours like you could just learn so much from other people like I know for sure I because I started tattooing from home I taught myself and so I was like let me just get good enough to where I could enter a space and learn and honestly it made all the difference being in a shop. Like I just had so many bad habits that I had to unlearn and just like little things that like, whether it's a tweak in how I, and I was using coils at the time, tweak in how I tune my machine or like what needle, like what needle sizing for what design, like how I wanted to translate. And then learning how to tattoo super freaking fast as well, because like walk-ins, high volume stuff, and then drawing really freaking fast too. Because you get a walk in and you're like, gotta go, gotta do it. Like, yeah, I, I started in the fall and I've just heard stories about how the summer there is like just unreal. Mm-hmm. And I'm the only person at the shop that doesn't use an iPad. And I asked my one of my coworkers, I was like, do you think I can get by the summer without using an iPad? And she's like, no. 
I'm just like, I just don't want to do it. Like, and I, and I know that so many people have shared so many convincing things to me, but I'm so reluctant. Like I'm kind of like a knucklehead and stubborn. And like, I just like want to learn and like, just get good at like drawing first before adding in the mix of a tool, if that makes sense. Yo, I was thinking about the other day, I'm like cleaning up my apartment because my partner moved in and I was looking at, I have just like piles of like drawing like books and freaking transfer paper and, and all this stuff. I'm looking at literal tattoos that I did. I'm like, wait, so I just sketched this out on paper and then I sketched it out again and then I traced it. I did that every day for every appointment. And then at one point, I think even at one point I was doing hand stencils. It was a wild time, but I miss it a little bit. I feel very like there's a little bit of me that feels disconnected to the art when it's done digitally for me. And even sometimes I feel like when I draw my tattoos, I'm like, they're okay on the iPad. They come to life in the tattoo. So mm-hmm. like, I don't know if like that's like might be the same for you, but like if you feel good and confident f- to like do hand drawings, like even during the summer and stuff, do it and maybe just like mix it up. You know, if it's like an infinity symbol, okay, whatever, like I'll print it, iPad, whatever, but like. It sounds like you're using this opportunity at New Tribe to kind of have that like apprenticeship, like first year, first year, I know it's not your first year, but like first year tattooing experience. I try to be very mindful where I'm currently at with tattooing. And, you know, anytime you talk to anyone, every, everybody's always like, oh, yeah, I'm like, I'm still learning. I'm still a new tattooer, even though they've been tattooing like 15 years. Right. But I'm like, no, I still feel very fresh. Like I try to be very honest with where I'm at with tattooing and see that there's like, yeah, many areas of opportunity for, for me to like work on and, and grow. And like one of the areas is like fine line tattoos, fine line tattoos are in pretty much everybody comes in looking for fine line tattoos at the shop. Yeah. <laughs> They're definitely in <laughs> like, how would you describe your art style then? Like it's interesting that you say that you're like essentially learning how to draw as you're learning to tattoo. I think that's like, classically or historically in the industry, it'd be like a big no, but I actually find it kind of, I don't know, kind of beautiful, like kind of cool, you know, but you have such a unique style. Well, I'd say with like drawing and illustration, like I, I do a lot of like traditional tattoos. I like doing pattern work stuff as well. And like lettering, I feel like it's less about like the style, but like sometimes I guess like the content that I like to focus on, like even kind of like infusing like a recovery slogan into like something on a banner instead of it saying like um, death before dishonor, it says like live and let live, you know, just like small things like that. And I think that, yeah, there's just different content that I like to focus on instead of like the art. And I am very reference heavy at this point. I feel like sometimes I'll get lucky where I can just draw a thing from, I guess, like memory. And it feels like a, a new like thing. But I'm still like very reference heavy and and I try to go to like the source for like the references as much as I can. To be real, that's all that's most American traditional artists. They are very much using references. They are very much tracing, which is no Tino Shea. There's a lot of they could also create, you know, custom in their heads designs. But a lot of that work is reference and tracing. I didn't know that so many people trace stuff for the longest time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No one told me that. Like. With tattooing, yeah, that happens a lot. I mean, in so many ways. I mean, like, 
you can't be creative 24 seven. Like there's some tracing that happens or some repetitiveness that happens. I think, especially if we're, we're talking like fine lines or like American traditional and like, just like everyday tattoo stuff. So then like, what are things that like inspire you or drives you creatively outside of like tattooing? Well, I do like, um, I do some photography and on film, part right? of, on film. Yeah. And some of the stuff that I like to focus on for photography is about, I guess, like documentation. For the past bunch of years, I've kind of had this photo series called People, Places and Things. And it kind of started off by focusing on photographing different like sober queer and trans people in my life. Not in like a photo shoot sort of way, but just in a way where it's like, you know, like if we're just at a meeting or out to dinner or out at a party, just like taking photographs like as we're living our lives. Mm. That kind of like extended to also starting to photograph other tattooers and tattoo spaces. And for both, I guess, like areas for photographing, it was important to me to do this because like, I feel like things aren't being documented in the same way with our current like digital culture, you know, especially with people that might be involved in 12 step communities, like it's meant to be like anonymous, you know? And Mm -hmm. like, there's not a lot of like documentation that has happened there historically. And then with like tattoo culture, like everything used to be shot on film, but because like we all have like cell phones now, everything's being done digitally and it's not being, I feel like stored, recorded and like archived in the same or similar Mm -hmm. way as in the past. And then also with photography, I like to do like photo shoots with like friends with um, S&M and like kink based photo shoots. I've seen some of them. They're really cool. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also with this photo project, I'm actually shooting on slide film, which is basically it's film that you can use to put on a slide projector and then you project it like on the wall. And that sounds like really old school. It's very old school. It reminds me of like Tarzan, (laughs) that scene with like Jane and they're like teaching him things in the tent. And they're like oh, putting yeah, yeah. in the slot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what came to my well, head. Exactly that, right? It was those things were like used in like schools and everything like that. I came to a, a realization that like trying to share SM photography in the online digital world might not be the best place for it because it just gets pulled, it gets censored. And I was just like, what's the point of like trying to share this work online when it just gets restricted? And then I watched a documentary recently about a photographer named Nan Golden. And one of the things that she used to do was like, you know, like shoot photography of like the people in her life. And she would just show the photography in bars on a slide carousel with a slide film. And that was like one of her ways that was, she was kind of like sharing her work with like the people that are actually in her life. So I feel like for yeah, the next photo shoots I want to do, like it's primarily not going to be shared online. And instead it's going to be shared in this space, probably at a bar where it's going to also be like an event and people can kind of like, just like come together. And then it can be like a nice little fun, like S&M meetup for people. That's so intimate. That's so cool. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about Pieces to Pathways. What is it? How did you get started? Like, what is some of the work that you folks do? So, yeah, like I worked on Pieces to Pathways for about, I think it was like six or seven years. And me and my friend Tim, 
we were just having a conversation one time and we were kind of like realizing that a lot of our friends and peers didn't have a lot of like supports to go to for substance use around the city. Both Tim and I, we had experience going to 12-step meetings. So places like Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous and Cocaine Anonymous. But, you know, if like someone didn't really want to go to a meeting, then we would try to refer them elsewhere. And yeah, we, we just like found that we were, there weren't a lot of places we felt comfortable to refer our peers to. And then we were just like, we, we just came with the attitude that like, you know, if you see a problem, then you just try and do something about it. And then so we just tried to create a program that would help fill this service need and service gap. Like what are the services? So there, the services, there was counseling, they would run drop-in services. So like places where people could, could just come and get a meal and talk to other people. There were like structured facilitated groups so that people could, I guess, like focus on like a more, I guess, like process oriented space. They would also provide nightlife outreach. So go to like bars and like parties and provide harm reduction outreach to provide like safer supplies. And then there was also some educational aspect where uh, we would go to different staff teams and organizations and provide like trans education to make other organizations services more accessible to trans people. It's just so interesting and bizarre, like the stigmas around like harm reduction as it pertains to like substance abuse and like the general ideology around that, like folks being like, I guess folks who are ignorant or folks who just have like biases or hate poor people, don't understand mental health, don't understand marginalization or folks who are marginalized where it's like, well, you're just encouraging people to do drugs. You're just encouraging people to drink. And it's like, well, people are going to drink and do drugs regardless. Like that's just going to happen. It's like, how do we try to like not have people die essentially, you know, and it's such important work. I was going to say that like AA has been kind of in my life in the sense that like my father was an alcoholic. Um, He's no longer with us because it killed him ultimately. And going to AA, he experienced like so much racism, literal being called the N-word, like literally by like a sponsor and just like could not connect to the people there. And I don't know if like there was an alternative for like a racialized like group or like a black group and if his experience would have been different. What I know here and like having folks who are in the sober community here that they have developed like these AA groups that are like queer centered and like young and like people between the ages of like, you know, whatever, like 18 or 19 to like 30, where it's like they could connect more and and like have a more shared experience and feel like safer in those environments. Not to say that like all AA is like unsafe, but like it might be hard sometimes to connect to like a dude who's like 50 white cishet talking about that experience, you know? Yeah. As a, Big disclaimer, I do have experience with 12-step fellowship, and I'm not speaking on behalf of any specific fellowship as well, too. But uh, yeah, like, you know, programs and services and fellowships are like products of their own environment. We'll be right back after this short break.
So much of relationship building within the industry has been centered around like substances and and trauma bonding. You know, you're in the shop and after like the day is on, it's like, let's just go to the bar. And then we're like spending our money, getting drunk at the bar. Fast money, make fast money, you lose fast money. Like, and sometimes there's drugs and like, like it's just such a prevalent part of relationship building in tattooing. I mean, it makes sense for so many reasons. It makes sense because I feel like a lot of folks who entered the industry are folks, you know, there's folks who have been incarcerated. There are folks who are, are criminalized folks, folks with trauma, like just like the the outcasts of society. I mean, now it's more art kids, but but there's not a lot of healing that's that's necessarily happening, you know, so it makes sense that that is sort of there. But I guess, how would you think being sober would impact being able to build relationships with folks in tattooing or a relationship or build relationships within the industry? I don't know. I guess like for me, it's not like at the forefront of my mind a lot of the time when I was first starting off with tattooing, like finding out other, I guess, like sober tattooers was kind of like important and meaningful to me. But like that has been like less of a priority more recently. And like, I feel like in terms of like my own recovery, like I'm just in a place where I don't have a desire to use alcohol and drugs at all. But I do feel like I'm also, I'm not drawn to like every tattooer that I know. There are like some people that I'm like, you know, like drawn to or like inspired by or mm-hmm. or the, the connection is like more meaningful. Yeah, not not a lot of them are like focused on going out or anything like that. But also at the same time too, like there are some times where it's like, yeah, like I I like going out to shows. I like going out to like raves and parties. One of the things I've been most grateful for is, you know, like sharing space with like other tattooers, you know, or people that I've tattooed when we're just like regular fucking people just watching a band play, you know, and we're just there like sharing space. Yeah. Like I think my first experience, like really one being around folks who were sober and like other like queer or alternative tattooers happened just like a few years ago. Like I think a year within the year before the pandemic, you know, I do conventions. Like I've just been in that, like the scene, like the tattoo scene for so long. And then I entered uh, specific spaces, like tattooing spaces where like folks were queer, folks were trans, folks were sober and I was like, oh my God, how am I going to fit in? <laughs> and I'm a bit, I'm a little bit abrasive and I, you know, I have a personality to me and I'm like, these queers are not going to like me, but I feel like I built a lot of meaningful relationships with those folks. And when I think about it, like I, like I hung out with those folks a lot. Like I am somebody who drinks, um, I don't do drugs, but I do drink. And I'm like, we would just like sit outside and like smoke cigs and talk and just like make jokes. Maybe we order a pizza. And it was just like, it was chill. I didn't feel like I was not connecting with them. I didn't feel like it was boring. It felt just as meaningful. It felt just as impactful. Yeah. It just like had me thinking that there are other ways to like build these spaces, you know, like it doesn't always have to be like one way. I felt like also like I was living more authentically and those relationships felt a little bit more authentic to who I was because like as a neurodivergent person, alcohol could like make me feel like less anxious and I'm like, I'm more open. But the next day I always regret everything I said, but I'm like, well, it wasn't me. Dissociate, just like compartmentalize it. It wasn't me. It was a different version of me. But like when I'm like sober and like having these hangouts with other folks who are sober, 
it's like me. But yeah, I just feel like it was like more impactful. And I felt like I got to like know people and they got to know me more. And there was so far less conflict. It was like a whole different world. And I and I really appreciated it. I guess like over the past, maybe like less than a year, every once in a while, I'll do like a like tattooers and like pool night at City Pool. And I'll just like send out a bunch of invites to people and yeah, people are, are are drinking and stuff like that. But it's kind of along the lines of like what you're saying. It's like, because there's so many shops, there's so many studios, people working at home. I feel like the traditional people don't talk to those people. The scratchers feel judged by those people, you know, and the, the people doing that weird stuff over there don't fuck with those people. For me, it's, I, I feel like I kind of like straddle a couple different tattoo spaces, which is, I, I think, like not everybody's experience. But I see like value and appreciation in, in all forms of like tattooing. But yeah, it is kind of nice when people that don't regularly mix can hang out with one another and hopefully like break down some of the judgments that people have against one another in, in that kind of way. I think there's like a lot of folks also like yourself, like myself, who do alternative types of art, are more progressive, are queer, are trans or gender nonconforming but then also still appreciate like those sort of fundamentals of like a traditional tattoo world and like apply it to the practice, you know, like it doesn't have to be so hard line. This is this and this and this. And like, there can be some, you know, fluidity there. Yeah. And I, and I think for me, I guess like I'm kind of a nerd with tattoo history and culture a little bit. I feel like when I was like younger and first getting involved with like different community organizing, I'm talking about like my early twenties, like people would be like, Oh yeah. Like what about intergenerational work? And I'd be like, we don't need that. Like we're young, we have energy, <laughs> but like, I was like, I'm 35. So you're like 35. I'm 35. Yeah. 35 is not old, but I'm like, damn, did not, I did not see that coming. Yeah. I'm, I'm 35. It's, genetics i feel like it's my my mom's filipino side in me but uh yeah like now that as as i get a bit older and essentially doing a career change in my mid-30s like i've kind of like really valued and appreciated and seen the utility of like intergenerational work in tattooing a lot of it is like oral history a lot of it is just stuff that people just pass down and i feel like because there's less opportunities happening for like apprenticeships a lot of that yeah. history is being lost, you know, and it's just not, not being like shared in the, the same kind of way. There's been like some people in the city that like I've connected and heard like more of the stories. I was thinking about this today. I was like, I'd actually be curious to hear about your experience too, because I feel like you've been around and you've probably seen a lot in the city <laughs> as well and, and have like, no, like just seriously, like perspectives that like I wouldn't hear about talking to other tattooers, you know? Mm-hmm. with like different shops and working at different places and, and everything like that. So some of my first experiences with tattooing, when I got my first tattoo at like 15, it was a neck tat. It was a rose. They let me get it because I said I was a group home kid. I have no parents. And they were like, work. But that shop is shut down now. But they, they were cool. But um, a lot of the people that I got tattooed by after being in the shop was like more precarious artists who are like very talented, who are like coming into your house, $40 tats. You know, I was constantly losing contact with them because they were like in and out of like mental stability and and housing. It it was very much 
those like hyper marginalized groups of folks who I was like working um, or getting work done by. Within the shops, I think speaking about the oral history, right? It was a lot of that. And so I entered, I think for myself as like a light-skinned Black person, I did have a lot more access to spaces. While being in those spaces, though, there was tons of microaggressions, tons of anti-Black racism that was happening. But it was like this weird thing where you also started building relationships with people and you're learning so much. So you're learning about like figureheads and tattooing from here and like people that have these relationships and how they're connected to. And it's like almost like like a drag house, like ball houses, right? Like this person taught this person who taught this person. And it was like this like tree, this like it's lineage. Like a, it's a lineage, yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of that in so many ways. You know, you're experiencing certain like harms and violences from people, but you also feel very connected to them through lived experience of like being impoverished, of like what your relationship to tattooing is. There was also a lot of like proving yourself. The biggest thing I think that like folks in that in the industry want to know is how much do you want it, right? Like how much do you want it? How much do you care about it? What are you willing to do for it? Like you die by the machine kind of thing. I think that's another reason why I was able to be in that in that world despite my start is my relationship to the tattooing. There are elements of the industry that is like unsafe, right? A lot of sexual violence, a lot of harm, a lot of racism, a lot of abuse. How much do you think that the culture of substances and that sort of lifestyle sort of influences these spaces of like being unsafe? I, I guess like the only thing I can say like on, on that topic is that like, okay, from a harm reduction perspective, right? They'll be saying things like, you know, people that use drugs aren't bad people. Like that's like some of the things that they'll say in the, in the logic they're using. And just because you're sober or you're abstinent doesn't make you a good person as well. Right. You know, in, in my experience, I feel like even though I've been sober, I've like made mistakes and I've hurt people, you mm -hmm. know. And at the same time, like when I was using alcohol and drugs, like, you know, like maybe other people are okay with this, but when I was like smoking meth, like I wasn't a nice person to be around, you know. <laughs> like, like, I don't know about other people, but yeah, I just, I just wasn't like a friendly person to be around. Yeah. And, but like to me, it, it's like, you know, like, regardless if I'm, like, sober or using drugs, like, you know, I can be unwell and I can be sick and I can hurt others. And I guess, like, for myself, like, one of the things that's important is just, like, it's actually one of the reasons why I left my, my job at Pieces of Pathways because I was working full-time and then also tattooing part-time. And I was just not able to take care of myself in the way that I would like to. And when I wasn't taking care of myself in a way that I wanted to, I was just like, you know, like making judgment calls or like being sloppy with certain things where, you know, like if I was in a better place that maybe I wouldn't have made some of those calls, you know, mm -hmm. then I got into tattooing full time, which has become like a six day a week job. And I only take off Sundays because it's the Lord's day. And uh, you're also hand drawing everything. So there's <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, just to add on that. <laughs> I feel like for myself, like I'm able to take care of myself in a better way where I can, you know, eat properly, get good sleep, you know, like keep up with my prayer and my meditation to maintain my spiritual practice. 
to help out with others in my recovery world. And that's how I'm like able to like stay focused on things. But it's like, I don't think, yeah, people using alcohol and, or drugs like makes them like a bad person or creates the harm. You know, it's the uh, misogyny and like a rape culture that uh, creates sexual violence. Like it's not like the person or the individual exclusively, mm-hmm. you know? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, feel free to not want to answer this question, but you have a relationship to God. Like you're a spiritual person. Like, is that like a labeled thing? Like, like what is your spirituality? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah. Like I would, I would definitely say like, I'm more of like a, a spiritual person than a religious person, even though I am Christian, but for a big part, I was raised Catholic. Like I'm mm-hmm. half Filipino, English and Irish. So there's a lot of Catholicism in there. Mm-hmm. And, um, like I, I grew up going to church and, you know, like as I started to like listen to like punk and hardcore music as a teenager, I started to like hate the government and organized religion. And so I was like, you know, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> an atheist um, growing up. And for about 10 years of my uh, sobriety, I was atheist and agnostic. I also put to put it in context, like I've been sober for the past 16 years. And I got sober when I was 19. So, you know, yeah. like I, I feel like some people are able to, you know, like they're actually able to, to think a lot of these like big questions and come to their own conclusions. I feel like I hadn't really gotten that opportunity to do that when I got sober. Mm-hmm. Like I was just, I was just still a kid essentially, but it wasn't until like my 10th year of sobriety where I was in another relationship that was like breaking down and more so because of like my, like harmful contributions to it, even though I feel like it takes two to tango. Mm-hmm. I just came to a place that was like, wow, like, you know, like this is happening again in another relationship. I I actually reached out to a friend of mine. She was a sober minister through the Anglican church. And um, I just said to her, I was like, I don't know if I could ever be loved or forgiven again because of like the way I treated my partner during that time. And uh, she said to me that God's love and forgiveness will always be there for you. All you have to do is reach out and ask for it. And like after that moment, like that's when I feel like everything changed for me. It was it was like a big like spiritual moment for me. Mm. And that next day I, I prayed, I got on my knees. And when I prayed, it just felt like an honest prayer. And I actually felt something, mm. you know, even though I'm I'm Christian, like I feel like that energy and that force and that power it's like, I, I feel it in other places that I go, you know what I mean? It's like that universal mm-hmm. feeling and that energy. Like since that time, like, I feel like I've had a, a return to like Christianity and spirituality, but not in the way that I kind of grew up with it, but in a way where I can kind of make meaning and understanding for how this stuff is like relevant and meaningful to my life today. Well, it's remarkable hearing, hearing things like that. I myself, I'm not a religious person. I'm you know, I lean more spiritual. I don't think about it that much. I started, like I grew up uh, Protestant, like came from like a pretty abusive and tumultuous upbringing. And wouldn't say church was such a large part of our lives, maybe at some point, but I did believe in a God. But as I was like experiencing so much trauma, so much abuse, I was like, there's no God that would like, Mm -hmm. let me go through something like this, you know, like, I did prayers to beg for things and like safety and love and just like didn't receive it. And I think that really like cut 
my relationship to God at, at the time and then going into my teens. It's interesting. I was still talking to a God, you know, I was, mm-hmm. I was angry at it. So it's like, I was like, I'm agnostic or like, I'm like, I know I was like atheist, but I was still like in times of like, like turmoil or like having a breakdown, I was speaking to something. So it's like, I was still there. I was just angry. I think now I don't know what it means for me when I hear like, like for how you were speaking, it like it resonates and it connects. I still don't know what I believe in. I believe in the universe. I believe that they're like in like a global and sort of like connection to like all life, whether it be people, animals, nature, the skies, the stars, and like feel like there's something greater than ourselves, but not from a biblical sense, if that makes sense. And I think I'm still trying to find what that relationship will look like. And like, you know, almost like how you described, there's like a journey and it would be a journey, whatever the end result of that is, like, it's still a process. Yeah, they they say like in some of the recovery spaces I'm in, like, there's an emphasis, like not in defining your relationship to spirituality or God, but more so an, an emphasis on like the process of seeking. So I have a client who's like trans, super dope individual, like they're so great and they do drag and they're like practicing to be a minister. Oh, wow. That's cool. And like they were telling me like their ideas for like how they want to do things. They want to do it in drag yeah. and like they want to just make it super queer. And I was like, you know, I, I don't do I believe in or, you know, when I'm not going to do the whole spiel, believing in organized religion, yada, 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 whatever. But like, but then I hear like even going back to what I was talking about earlier, when I see people take some things that are good and then like fill a gap and then develop something new and something beautiful and something different that could connect to a wider audience that connect to different people. And they were just telling me about it. I was like, damn, that's cool as hell. Don't know if I necessarily get it, but I think it's super rad and cool to see that folks are, folks are doing that even within like an organized religion. They're still like disrupting it, like in how we understand it or how it's been done or maybe, you know, the Westernized concepts of it or whatever the case is. It's, so nuanced, regardless, cool as hell, you know? Yeah, that, that's really cool. And I, I feel like that kind of like resonates with some of my experience as well, where it's like, I feel like just growing up and being like a little bit of a misfit, always feeling like an outcast for a lot of my life. Mm-hmm. And how, yeah, I feel like even with like tattooing, like tattooing filled with like misfits and outcasts, you know? Mm-hmm. May, mm-hmm. Maybe like less so today with our current tattoo culture because it's been so mainstream. And mm-hmm. just like regular fucking people are doing it. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like kind of like always like messing around with like people's ideas and expectations about who you are. You know, like I have a lot of tattoos and I feel like I look like the way that I look. And like you would kind of maybe think that like, you know, like I would do certain things or, you know, be a certain way. But then at the same time, like flipping it and it's like, you know, like I'm sober, I'm queer you know, I'm a spiritual person and, and a religious person, but then I also like S and M and kink. You know, like how does that all like kind and of you like go to fit raves. together? Exactly. Yeah. You know, so I hang out at a city pool all the time, and you know, like all the chaos is happening around me, but I I love it and I love being there. My last question is: What are some alternatives to building meaningful relationships with other tattooers? outside of substances like you know for just 
brainstorming, thinking about it. It's an interesting question because like, yeah, tattooing is just at such an interesting place. Obviously, I haven't been, I've, I'm so new and fresh to it, yeah. but it's like maybe before like there'd be more people hanging out at like shops, like after hours to just chill and hang out and like crack some beers. It seems like most places I've gone to, it's like people don't really hang out at their studio or shop afterwards. They just like go home or something. Yeah, you should come to True then because they're yeah. always hanging out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. For myself, I guess like photography has been important to making connections with other people. And mm. I, I try to be very mindful with that. It's like if I, you know, like don't know a tattooer personally if, or if I haven't met them, like I'm not just going to be like asked to take their photo like right away. I do believe in like building that trust and doing that before I, t- I take a photo with someone. And yeah, just I still get tattooed by other people, you know, mm. like I got tattooed by Handsome Mike, who's at uh, Trophy Tattoos in Hamilton. And he's been like tattooing in like over 15 years, you know, and it's like, I'm not asking this guy to fucking trade. Like I'm like, I booked a tattoo with him, you know, yeah. and like, I also like trying to visit different shops sometimes yeah I don't know just asking people to trade I don't really trade a lot but I guess that's nice when it happens or like you don't like to trade a lot or you just don't do it a lot I just don't do it a lot like it just yeah it just doesn't happen too often I don't know but I I like just hanging out with people playing pool going to shows and stuff and like they might drink or use drugs which is fine you know It, it doesn't personally bother me but I would understand too if like you know like if someone was like nearly sober and then hanging out at a place like City Pool, you know, City Pool is like a great time, like, you know, before like 11 o'clock, like it's kind of mellow a lot of the time. But after 11 or 1130, like there's <laughs> something that switches in there. But I, I like being around that energy and that vibe, too. It's like a dive bar, right? Yeah. Have you been? No, I love dive bars. OK, I, I think you would like it because like it's a real mix of people that go there. Like it's not just like punk people. Like, you know, like there's, I feel like many walks of life that, that come through those doors to hang out. I love dive bars though. Yeah. Everybody's so different. I also like, like classic rock and like different types of music. So you have like folk pop from the nineties and then like classic rock and then somehow mm-hmm. there's hip hop in there. And I'm like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> well, Faith, thank you so much for being on the show and agreeing to be on here So is there anything you want to plug in, social media accounts, handles, project, upcoming projects folks should look out for? It's your time to say it. I got nothing. My my life is, yeah. Your own own Instagram, perhaps? Well, you already said it. It's needle imprint, you know? Yeah, I I don't know. Like, what's that doing? Like, I'm just hoping, like, I hate traveling. Like, but I'm really hoping to travel more this year. And, um... I know you mentioned like conventions and stuff. Like I want to work at conventions. Like I, even just to try it, just to do it, you know? But other than that, I got, I got nothing. That's it for today's episode, folks. Go ahead and follow at the Teardown Pod on all socials. Also make sure to leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. The podcast is hosted by me, Vegas Inc., This episode was edited and mixed by Ali Silhua and was produced in collaboration with Edit Audio. Special shout out to producers Kathleen Specker and Melissa Houghton, and I'll see you at our next session.